Thank you for tuning into this week's message. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about your life change. So if you have a story about how God has made a move in your life or impacted your life in any way, send an email to amen at findvelocity.org. We hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Now let's lean in and enjoy the message. If you're just joining us for the first time, we've been in a series the last several weeks called This Is A Move. And this is the final installment of this series, and it's my hope that as we've been studying this subject together for the last few weeks that you've been feeling encouraged, that you've been feeling challenged, and that God is helping you uh, move forward from what has been keeping you stuck, and that even though our series might be coming to an end, what I want to tell you is that this season is definitely not. Uh, In so many ways, this season is just getting started. If you didn't hear, uh, we are going to be getting our own permanent facility next year. And uh, I'm so excited about it. It is uh, 4000 West 6th Street. It's maybe known as the old Hy-Vee building, but I got to tell you, it is the new Velocity building uh, soon to be. So we're pumped for that. And not only moving into that season, but um, we're looking to resume gatherings and move back into that. And I'll be telling you more about that next week. But for today, I want to tell you something really exciting is on September 13th, we're going to be celebrating nine years as a church. Can you believe that? We've been gathering for that long and God has been changing lives and doing so much. And so we wanted to do something special and we wanted to uh, try to involve as many people as possible. So on September 13th, we're going to be doing an outdoor service at our West Campus at Theater Lawrence, and I want to invite everybody, those of you who are here and those of you who are watching online, you need to write down that date, September 13th. We'll be doing an outdoor service, so maybe you haven't been quite ready to gather yet. That's your day uh, to give it a try because you can stay in your car, and we can broadcast your car, or if you want to get out and be socially distanced and bring some chairs and uh, be spaced out among other people, it's going to be phenomenal, and I'm just going to ask that you would come, one, because I miss seeing you. I miss seeing so many of your faces and and doing all the things that make Velocity, Velocity, and it's gonna be special. And uh, West people, I know we've been broadcasting from our downtown campus, but we absolutely have not forgotten about you and can't wait uh, to be opening back up at both of our venues very soon, and we'll be telling you more about that. But today, I wanna wrap up this series, and, and as we wrap it up, I want us to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and find your way there to Luke chapter 10. And to give you a little context on this, this this is one of those passages of Scripture that in the context of everything that's written, it seems a, a little bit strange. Like it just, it's a little out of place. It's like going to the gym and seeing somebody working out in their jeans. It's like, okay, it works, but it's just a little awkward. I mean, for everybody. And That's kind of how it is when I read this passage because, like, in the context of Luke 10, Jesus is commissioning his disciples. He's sending them out to ministry, and really, he's preparing to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Jerusalem because he knows that's where the cross awaits him. But right here in Luke 10, Luke makes a little pit stop in his narrative. Really, the beginning of Luke 10 marks what's called the the beginning of Jesus' Perean ministry. That's the final three months of his ministry where he's traveling around in areas beyond 
the Jordan and, and in every place that he's going and in everything he's doing, really his heart, his focus, his mind is all on what awaits him in Jerusalem, the, the cross. But within this context, Luke makes a little pit stop in, in his narrative and tells us how Jesus and his disciples, that they stop over in this town called Bethany. And maybe the story wouldn't seem so random if it appeared in another gospel, because like John, if you've ever read the gospel of John, he's just kind of all over the place. Like, like his stuff doesn't always make narrative sense and, and the stories and where he puts them. And maybe even in Mark's gospel, like he's fast moving, like he just gives snapshots from one scene to the next. But Luke, Luke was, was really attentive to historical details, and he, he, he really noticed special incidents. And so when he makes it a point to interrupt his narrative and, and tell us about this incident that really doesn't even have a resolution in the story, it gets my attention. And so if you're in Luke 10, hopefully you found it by now. Uh, if not, there's no hope for you. And uh, we're going to start in verse 38. Uh, I want us to read together. The words will be on the screen so you can follow along. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Well, where were they going? To Jerusalem. This is a move, right? They're moving to where uh, God has in mind for them, for their purpose. And it says, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Have you ever been distracted? Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord, you can almost like hear the sigh in his voice. Martha, Martha. Just say that with me. Just, just shake your head and say, Martha, Martha. You just put it in the chat, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, really, there's only one that's needed. And Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to use this text today to give you the final installment in our series, This is a Move, I'm speaking to you from this subject, from full to focused, from full to focused. And if there's anybody here who's been feeling distracted by all the obligations and everything that's on your plate and everything that demands your attention and all the worries and all the cares, I believe that this message is gonna be for you today. If you believe that, will you say amen? Well, it's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. I want to pray. If you're joining with me, uh, you can just pray with me right where you're at, and then let's get into God's word. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that this is your word. Every time we open up your word, you speak. I believe you're going to do it again. God, use me in this moment to bring clarity, to bring focus, to bring help, encouragement to every person who needs it. Only you can do that, God. Take one word and apply it to so many different people, whether in here or online, wherever they're watching, God. I believe you'll do it again in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Hey, have you ever, um, well, let me ask this. How many of you consider yourself a hard worker? Can I just see your hand? You consider yourself a hard worker? 
honestly, I'm just curious at the people who don't raise their hand in this. I just really appreciate your vulnerability in this moment. It's like, no, that's not me. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not a hard worker. I I tend to be on the lazy side. If you want to know the truth, I'm in God's house. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, but, But it's interesting. I suppose how you raised your hand, whether you raised it or not. And if you're watching, you know, you can just type in the chat uh, if you're a hard worker. Just, just let us know. We want to know. Or let us know if you're not. But I suppose it depends on, uh, you know, who you're comparing yourself to, really. Like, are you comparing yourself to your parents? Are you comparing yourself to somebody in your family? Uh, you know, are you comparing yourself to your coworkers? Um, uh, are you comparing yourself maybe to your, to your kids? You know, who, who is it, your spouse? <laughs> who is it that, that you're comparing yourself to? If you're going to make a comparison, uh, you first have to recognize uh, who you're comparing. But it's not just who you're comparing, it's also how you're comparing, right? Like, are you just looking at the hours that you log? Or are you looking at the method of your work? You know, are, are, you, are you looking at uh, the end result, just what comes out of it? Are you looking at the effort that you put into it? And I know even as I ask them this question, like, like, like some of you, you're, you're not gonna participate and some of you, you're already putting in the chat, well, I don't really think we should compare people, pastor, like, you know, comparison is a sin. I mean, it's even in the word, like compare is sin. Comparison is a sin, I'm not gonna do that. And um, you guys can leave. But that's the problem with this passage for me. Because Jesus makes a comparison right in the text. And, like, he's not even sly about it. You know, he just says, hey, um, I'm just going to call you by name, and I'm going to call your name twice, so you know I'm talking to you. Martha, Martha, I want you to know that Mary's better. Okay? I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to be real crystal clear about it. I like Mary better. This is like one of my kids, one of my sons coming up to me like, Dad, um, who do you love more, me or Pippa? I'm just going to say, easy, Pippa. It's not, even, it's not even a question. Like, don't even have to ask that again. I just, you need to know that I love Pippa more. So don't ask. Now you know. I mean, that's what it's like in this text. Like, can you imagine that? Jesus comes up to you. He says, hey, I just want to let you know that um, of the two things happening right now, your sister, she's better than you. She's making a better decision. She's making a better choice. I like her more. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard this passage before, but like every time I've ever heard this passage preached, it's kind of like, all right, you can be Mary or you can be Martha. But don't be Martha, be Mary, because Mary is Jesus' favorite. Like, like Martha, you know, Martha has the wrong priorities. Like Martha is busy doing all the wrong stuff. You know, Martha is a complainer. If you're going to be one of these people, don't be like Martha. Be like Mary because Mary's Jesus' favorite. She knew what was most important. She's sitting at Jesus' fa- at Jesus' feet. But if I can, I just want to give Martha a little bit of credit today. Okay, can I do that? Like, I know she's not who we're supposed to like in this text, but I just got to tell you, like, I know Mary is the hero of this story, but can I just point out to you the whole reason that Mary is able to sit at the feet of Jesus is because Martha has a home for her to sit in. Did you notice that? It says in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So let me spell it out for you. Whose house is it? Martha's house, right? Who's getting things ready? Martha is. Who should be rewarded? Martha should. That's my opinion. I'm just saying, like, as a boss, I don't want to hire a bunch of Marys, right? I love you, but Martha's going to get crap done. Martha's going to hustle. Martha's going to make sure things are right. Martha's going to make it happen. And I just want to go on record and tell you, I like Martha better. Martha's not bad. I like Martha truthfully because I relate to Martha. Like, like I relate to Martha way, way, way more than, than I do to Mary. And I just wondered, I just wonder if maybe I've misunderstood this passage all along. Like, I, I don't really think Jesus was comparing Mary and Martha. I, I don't think he was comparing Martha's work to Mary's worship. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm sure Jesus wants to eat. <laughs> I mean... She opened her home. Jesus came in. I'm sure he's thinking, I would really like a meal right about now. I don't think Jesus was upset at what she was doing. I think it was something else. I don't think it was Martha's activity. I think it was her attitude. I think it was her attention. I think it was her approach. I don't think the issue was that Martha should have been sitting instead of serving. I think Martha's supposed to serve. If Martha doesn't serve, nobody's going to eat. I think Jesus was trying to make a different comparison. Not Mary versus Martha, but many versus few. Many versus few. It's, honestly, it's right there in the text. Let's look at it again. Verse 41 it says, Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you're worried and upset about Many things. But there's just a few that are needed. There's really only one, if you want to know the truth about it. See, it's not everything that Martha was doing in the house. It's everything that was happening in her heart. And I wonder what's happening in your heart today. I wonder if you've come in here or you're watching online with a full heart, full of anxiety, full of worry, full of stress full of pressure, full of distraction. See, I, I, I want to give you five things today that is going to help those of you who've come in here with, with a full heart, full of anxiety. Your, your heart's so full that you can't function, where, where you feel pulled in so many different directions that you're not sure how to move forward because you're not sure where to focus. Which, that's what distraction means, by the way. It means to be pulled apart, pulled in different directions. I'm just wondering, am I talking to anybody today? Just let me know in the chat. Have you felt pulled in a lot of different directions? Have you, have you felt like there's been a lot of things demanding your attention? Have you felt like there's not space to focus on the things that really matter? If that's you, I want to let you know, it's not so much our activity that needs to change, but it's our attitude. It's our attention. It's our hearts and our minds being so full of stress that we stay stuck, so full of anxiety that we can't move. And I want to help you move today from full to focused, 
And I want to do it in a way that takes the guilt off of you. Because I think guilt, it might have been one of the underlying problems, like for Martha. I'll show you that because the first thing that's causing her to miss what God is doing, it's not all the things that are on her plate. It's the scarcity in her mind. And that's the first thing I want you to write down is scarcity. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down scarcity because, see, I don't get anxious because my life is so full. I get anxious because I view my resources as so scarce. <laughs> and it's odd that scarcity would be her mindset because when I read the text, I see the text list everything that Martha had. I mean, Martha's got a home. She's got a sister. She's got guests. She's got responsibilities. She, she's got opportunities. And she's got a problem. Now, her problem is not what she thinks her problem is, but, but she thinks her problem is that she doesn't have enough resources to do what she needs. Yeah. Well, what she needs, in her mind, what she needs is to have some hands pitch in and help. What she needs is a caterer to handle this problem. You know, what, what she needs is somebody to run to the store and grab some more chicken. You know, what, what she needs is somebody to move the furniture because now she's got more guests in the house and she's got to accommodate them. That, that's what she thinks she needs. She simply doesn't have enough of what she needed. And when you don't have what you need, what you have is scarcity. But it's in her mind. It, it's in her mind. And in the simplest terms, a scarcity mindset is the belief that there will never be enough, whether it's money, whether it's food, whether it's help, well, what it could be any number of other things, whatever it is, a scarcity mindset says there's never going to be enough. And scarcity keeps you stuck for several reasons. First, when you don't feel like you have enough, your focus is on maintaining what you do have. See, I I'm wondering if the reason she wanted Mary to help is because in her mind, well, that's one less place that I have to set. That's one less meal that I have to serve. That, 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 that's one less dish I have to, that, she, she's thinking about what I do have and how I can maintain it. And that's the other problem with scarcity. Scarcity will cause you to cut corners. Scarcity will cause you to compromise in places where you never would have otherwise. It'll cause you to turn inward when God wants you to live outward. And look at this in this text because Martha opened her home to serve. She has the right thing in mind to start, but now that she's moved into scarcity, her concern is on herself. You, you see it in her response in verse 40. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's all focused on herself. And I get why she feels that way. Because really, Probably her most limited resource is her time, her time. I want to talk to you about urgency. That's the, that's the second thing, is urgency. Now, urgency in and of itself is not a bad thing. I think anything that's worth doing is worth doing immediately. Urgency is not bad. In fact, one of the first things they teach you in business school is you got to learn to know the difference between what's urgent and what's important. But can I tell you, if you're always managing crisis, 
If you're always running from one thing to the next and you're feeling depleted of energy, if you're always busy, always active, always doing something, but you don't feel like you're making any progress, then you're probably confusing what's urgent with what's important. And that's why urgency can be a problem. See, it's this lie that keeps us active and keeps us moving with no direction. <laughs> and it tricks us into thinking that because I'm doing it, because I'm doing something, because I'm doing this, it matters. But see, Martha's problem wasn't that she had so much to do and not enough time to do it. Her problem is that she's confused urgency with priority. I'll show you what I mean. Again, let's look at verse 40. It says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Say, had to be made. Just type that in the chat. Had to be made. Had, had to be made. She thought they had to be made. But Jesus said, oh, Martha, there's just a few things that are needed. Really, really, there's just one that's needed. But in Martha's mind, I have to do this. I have to. Let me ask you this question. With everything that's on your plate, all the obligations, all the demands, everything that is on your list, everything that is filling your mind and filling your heart, everything that you're thinking about today right now, all the distractions that are pulling for your attention even in this moment while you're watching online and you get a text message and it's just so easy to click over on Facebook while you're on this. I'm just saying with everything that is on your mind and on your list that you have to do. Can I just ask you a question? Do you have to? No, really. I mean, do you, do you have to? Do you have to? See, this was freedom for me. Because I realized that there's been a lot of stuff that was taking up space in my heart. A lot of stuff that was taking up space as priorities. Because, like, I have this high level of responsibility. So I'm just going to make it important to me. Everything that was taking up space in my heart that really wasn't an obligation. It was an option. I'll give you an example. Just this week, um, my kids, they love to go with me to the office, and probably Oliver loves to go more than any. And so lots of times I'll bring them to the office with me, and, and uh, they like to come, and Marissa likes it when they come, and, uh, and I like it when Marissa likes something. So that, you know, kind of in this cycle. And so my kids, they come to the office a lot, and uh, Oliver, he said to me the other day, he's like, Dad, can I go to the office with you today? I said, uh, no, you can't. I have to uh, write my sermon. I have to. I have to work on my sermon today. And it's just like in this moment, like the Holy Spirit said, do, do you have to? Do you really have to? Now, let me ask you, like, which one is more important? I mean, <laughs> sermon's pretty important. Like, if I don't write a sermon... It's going to be really awkward on Sunday, right? I mean, sermons, well, I mean, playing with my son or bringing him with me or, you know, keeping him around, like, that's important too. Well, which one is more important? Can I just give you some freedom? Here's the freedom. You don't have to. You want to. When I just begin to switch what I was saying, I don't have to do this. I want to do this. 
man, at least I'm being honest. At least I'm being honest in that all the stuff that's on your list, everything that's on your mind, well, what if you just changed it from I have to to I, I want to? See, when you switch it to a want to, it's a revealer of your priorities. That, that's what Jesus was getting at. He wasn't trying to add something to Martha's plate. He wasn't, he wasn't giving her one more thing to do. He wasn't like, Martha, you know, you should have been sitting instead of serving. You, you should have. This is one more thing. Get the serving done so you can do this. No, what he was saying is he wasn't trying to get one more thing for her to do. He's, he was trying to show her something to delete. You don't, you don't have to. You, you want to. And I, I see that, you know, really when I look at this, I, I think Martha's frustration was really an indication of her capacity. Capacity, that's the, that's the third one. Now, capacity is different than scarcity. Scarcity is when you don't have enough. Capacity is when you are not enough. Capacity. I think part of what causes us to take on so much is because we think that what we do is not enough. And so we fill up our lives with obligations, and then we feel inadequate to fulfill them. See, I, 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 wonder, I wonder if all the things that were on Martha's plate really were just an echo of the insecurity in her heart. Because there was a part of her, a part of her that really wanted to be like Mary. Have you ever been there? Like, like have you ever, like, I don't know, you see some, something on Facebook, somebody takes a vacation, and like, you come, man, it's like, must be nice. Right? Somebody gets an opportunity, and like, oh, that's great for you, but in your heart, you're like, you're cussing under your breath. You know what I'm saying? It's like, 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 like in your heart, it's like, you're, you're happy, but you're also kind of jealous, but the jealousy is really an indicator that you're thinking, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I do that? Why isn't that happening for me? <laughs> why, why can't I do what they do? And, and see, I think there's a little bit of Martha that wanted to be like Mary. And so she's trying to compensate for that by doing all these different things. The only problem is she isn't built to be like Mary. She's made to be Martha. And what I'm trying to show you is that capacity has to be measured in comparison to your calling. Man, I, I learned a long time ago, like, like there, there are some things that I just don't have capacity for. I, I mean, like in high school, I, I learned that I was never gonna play in the NBA. Like just not gonna happen. I mean, I played basketball, but I just didn't get those genes. Like I just can't jump, I can't, can't do what needs to happen to, to, to make it happen. I just don't have the capacity for that. And if I measure my capacity by somebody else's calling, I'm always gonna come up short. But you know, you put a microphone in my hand, I'll do all right. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're, you're worried, you're upset about many things. I wonder if many of the I wonder if, if maybe the, the many things she was worried and upset about were all the things she thought she couldn't do because she didn't have capacity. I can't do that. 
I can't do that. I can't do what Mary can do. I can't do what the disciples can do. I can't do what all these other people can do. I, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. But I, I love the fact Jesus gave her hope. He says, hey, there's just a few things that are needed. Really, there's, there's only one. Can I tell you, you don't need to be anyone else than who God has called you to be. You don't need to do anything else than what God has called you to do. Who you are is enough. What you can do is enough. What you can do is significant. It's significant. You know how I know it's significant? I'll tell you because in some ways, Martha had to feel insignificant. I mean, Jesus makes this comparison and she feels like she's falling short of Mary. I'm sure in the moment she did. And yet, Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Now, when I read this, like, I thought he was just, like, trying to calm her down. Like, she's distraught. She's upset. It's like, Martha, Martha, Martha. Like, he's just trying to get her attention. But that's not what's happening. Because uh, when I read it, I, I thought of other people that God called their name twice. Like I was thinking, first one I thought it was Abraham. Abraham. Abraham, right when he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac and God, he said, Abraham. But I started going through lists, I started looking it up. Seven people, God called their name twice. I'll just give you the list. There was Abraham, of course. There was, there was Jacob, who God changed his name to Isaac. So Abraham, God made a covenant with him, covenant promise. Isaac changed his, or Jacob changed his name to Israel. Changed his name to Israel. That's significant. Moses, can't forget about Moses, Moses, Moses. The one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. There was Samuel, the first prophet. That's significant. How about Simon? Simon Peter, the first preacher, first church service, 3,000 people. How about Saul? Changed his name to Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches. And, and Martha. And Martha, it doesn't seem like Martha fits in that list. I mean, all, in comparison, all she could do was serve. But Jesus said, hey, what you can do, your capacity, I'm putting it on the same level as Abraham, as Jacob, as Moses, as Samuel, as Peter, as Paul. I'm putting it on the same level. All she knew was how to serve. She didn't know how to sit. But what she knew was enough. She didn't see that yet, though, because she thought she was missing out on an opportunity. An opportunity. That, that's the next one. <laughs> she's distracted. She's anxious. She's worried and upset because she feels like she's not getting the same opportunity. That's why she says, Lord, don't you care? I mean, I'm out here while my sister's in there. I'm laboring while my sister is listening. This isn't fair. And she thinks the fact that Jesus isn't doing what she wants him to do, that Jesus doesn't care. Ever felt that way? <laughs> God, you're not doing what I want you to do. You obviously don't care about my situation. But it couldn't be further from the truth. I care about you, Martha. I see you, Martha. I care about you more than you care about you. Martha, Martha, I know you want Mary to help you. I, I, I know you think you need to be 
where Mary's at. I know you think you're missing an opportunity right now, but I don't want you to be Mary. I don't want you to be where Mary's at. You're in the right place, Martha. You see, the contrast isn't Mary and Martha. It's the contrast is between many and one. The contrast is between being full and being focused, full of anxiety, full of worry, full of distraction, full of doubt, full of disappointments, and worried about the opportunities that you're missing so that you don't see the potential of the opportunity of the moment that you're in. And when you get in this space where Martha's at, you begin to think, what's the point? What does it even matter? Why, why does it even matter? That's the, the last one, futility. I, I've done all this, but what does it matter? I've got Jesus in my home, but I've got anxiety in my heart. I started with good intentions, but I'm seized by an action. I, I had good motives to begin with, but I've lost my motivation. And when you finally get frustrated with futility, you lose hope that things are ever going to change. What's the point, Jesus? What's the point of doing all this? I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do enough. So what's it matter anyway? And the way the story ends in verse 42, because that's where it ends, goes to the next chapter, kind of like it's just over. Like this strange little detour. Why'd you tell, tell us about this loop? Because we don't even hear about Martha again in the gospel until we get to John's gospel. In, in John's gospel, it's kind of interesting when we catch up with her because when you see Martha in John's gospel, she's still got the same tendencies, honestly. But would you notice she's learned a few things? And one of the things she's learned is that what looks like futility can result in possibility. She's only that frustration can be the birthplace of a new focus. You know, sometimes it's in losing the things you thought that you couldn't live without that allows you to see the purpose of the position that you're in. See, in, in John's gospel, we meet Martha in John chapter 11. And what we learn is that Martha doesn't just have a sister named Mary, but she has a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick, and because these sisters were close to Jesus, they, they call and ask him to come heal their brother. The only problem is Jesus doesn't come when they want him to come. Lazarus ends up dying, and, and then Jesus finally does show up. And it's like, what's the point, Jesus? It's futility. I mean, what's the point of having a savior if you don't do any saving when I need it? And so they have this interaction. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She says, but even now, I know you could still do something. And he says, well, your brother will rise again. She's like, yeah, I know he will at the resurrection. But Jesus says something to her, it's interesting. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, this is significant. 
Because scholars say that this response is the most fully developed confession of faith found in the Gospels. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. How could she have such clarity when her life was full of such chaos? Maybe it's because she's learned to focus when life feels full. Now, the rest of the story is she calls her sister Mary. They all go to Lazarus' tomb. Jesus, of course, he calls Lazarus forth, and there's this awesome resurrection. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the cross just a week later. But what happened with Lazarus, even though that's amazing, what's more significant to me is the shift in Martha's perspective. Because in the next chapter, John 12, look at this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. She's doing the same thing, but with a completely different heart. And I wondered what would cause such a shift, because we don't see any of the former feelings or frustrations that she had when we first meet her back in Luke's gospel. And maybe that's because, you know, Luke's account about Martha, maybe it wasn't so random after all. One thing you got to understand about Luke, I mean, Luke wrote... He was a historian. You see, a historian writes in retrospect. What I mean is he, he didn't write it as it happened. He, he writes looking back from where he's been. And so maybe by the time we meet up with Martha in John chapter 12, she's, she's had some time to reflect on her past. Because hindsight, it just has a way of bringing things into focus, the things that really matter. I mean, looking back, she could see why, why she was full of anxiety. Because in the moment, all she saw was futility. You know, in, in the moment, she thought she was missing an opportunity. In, in the moment, all she could see was she didn't have capacity. In, in that moment, all, all she saw was the urgency of the situation. In, in the moment, all she could see was scarcity. And we lose our focus whenever we get it backwards. When we try to let our activity compensate for our attitude. When we try and let our activity compensate for our attention. And what I wanted to help you with today is that all these worries and fear that you're letting take up the space in your heart, that's reserved for faith. All the things that are filling up your mind and filling up your heart, those aren't the problem. It's your focus. It's your focus. The responsibilities, the list is not the problem. It's your focus. It's your attitude. It's your attention. It's your heart. And God wants to help you focus today. It's not the stuff. It's not the list, it's not the obligations, it's not the things you think you have to do, it's not the worries, it's not the care, it's your focus. You can have clarity even in moments of chaos. And you can find 
possibility when it seems like all your efforts are futile. If you got the right focus, I want to help you focus today. Thank you so much for joining us for this teaching at Velocity. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on more great messages just like this one. If today's message impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others with the message of Jesus, go to findvelocity.org backslash give and you can partner with us financially. Thanks again for tuning in. Have an amazing week, Velocity. And remember, wherever you are, just keep moving forward.